Hi there, I'm Cass McCrory, and you're listening to the In Business Podcast, a show for women in business who want more, more fulfillment, more ease, more joy, more time, more life. And together, we'll be inspired by the women who have it. We'll talk to entrepreneurs, educators, leaders, and women just starting their Friends, today we're talking to Kelly Thompson. She is the author of Closing the Confidence Gap, a leadership coach, and so much more. I've got to tell you, I love this conversation. And you're going to want to take 10 minutes right now after this conversation and write a list. I'm not going to tell you what this list is, but I promise you it's going to be one that's going to help you make actionable change. The other thing Kelly and I dig into is the benefit of being a beginner and how we can begin again, no matter where we are and how important that is for us, not just gaining confidence, but living lives that we love. I really enjoyed this conversation. I know you will too. Let's get into it. Kelly, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Cass. I'd love for you to start us off by telling us a little bit about who you are and the work that you do in the world. Yeah. So who I am, I am Kelly Thompson. I'm a women's leadership coach. I'm a speaker. I'm a new author. My first book, Closing the Confidence Gap, drops on November 1st. So I'm excited about that. But I, I wasn't always this. I just started this in 2019, conveniently before the pandemic, <laughs> which I don't know if I would advise. I don't know if that's the choose your own adventure that I would have, have done is, hey, start a business right before the world shuts down. But prior to that, I was in corporate America. I'm a corporate veteran. So I worked mostly in banking and financial services and in technology organizations. And I led training teams and marketing teams, human resources teams, and really just found a love. I've always had a love for leadership development and coaching people. I was lucky enough to work for an author and an entrepreneur and her name was Cy Wakeman. She really taught me what it could be like to do your own thing and run your own business. And that really paved the way for me. And so then in 2019, I left and went out on my own. And, and here I am specifically coaching women on leadership, career changes, anything that relates to leading with more confidence. It's such a timely conversation because you know, we've, we've kind of been through this slump of great resignation. So many women have made big changes in the face of pandemic and deciding that they want a completely new normal. But mm-hmm. I've been talking to a handful of people lately where they took on a new role, they started their own business, they done the thing and they're like, I'm starting to feel like this grass is looking a lot like the grass I left. Yes. It's not looking quite as green as I imagined it to look. And that's mostly a mindset situation. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in this space and how that, how the confidence part of this equation shifts how we approach the work that we have in front of us. Oh, that's such a good call out because what happens many times is, and I've, I just want to like say, I've done this. So I'll just use myself as exhibit 1A is lots of times, you know, in the great resignation, we saw everybody else leaving and, you know, oh my gosh, maybe I should look too. And lots of times too, when people leave, they get a pay raise, they get a title bump. I'm like, let's be honest. Like who doesn't want a little more money? Like that feels good, right? Like I can, you know, do a little more shopping. I can, you know, do have a little more freedom, whatever that means. And, you know, it's not that they take roles that they don't like when they move to an organization. What I call it sometimes is all of a sudden we experience this career regret. 
And what happens is, at least in my experience, because I've changed roles too many times to count, I've changed careers, I've changed industries, and we walk in and I got all excited, new title, new job, new experiences. And even if the job overall was a great fit, like something starts to happen. I always say the new job smell starts to wear off after about 90 days. And then we're like, oh, this is work. <laughs> this is this is work just like the other job was work. And you know, we kind of lose our is in like enamorment for like enamored, right? With our new leaders, mm -hmm. and the new people in the new company. And then all of a sudden it just becomes just day in, day out reality. And like you said something really important about mindset. Because one of the things that I really had to rediscover, and one of the things I know I talk with a lot of my clients about, is I really had to reset my expectations for the first 90 to 100 days on the job. I know lots of times I was really inadvertently setting myself up for failure the first 90 to 100 days, because I would go in and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in, I'm going to make these changes, and I'm going to launch this thing, and I'm going to impact that, and I'm going to do this. And like what actually happens is that's a pretty accelerated timeline to make a lot of changes and make a lot of implementation. And what actually happens, at least in my perspective, is I walked into a new job, especially the one I'm thinking of is I had worked at a bank for 12 years and I'd worked in almost every department of that bank. You know, I just knew people, right? They, they raised me. I'd worked in all these departments. I was on their TV commercials. And so like, if I didn't know answers, like I knew who to go to, I knew who to call, I knew how to navigate. And I go to this technology company. And I was not prepared. My ego was not prepared to be a beginner again. I didn't know anybody. I sat in rooms and I'm like, I have no idea what these people are talking about. I've never felt so stupid in my life because they're throwing out acronyms. And so all of a sudden, all these big goals that I had just felt like they were like crashing down because here I was a beginner again. And the ego does not like that. Like it loves the identity of being known and knowing the answers and achieving and checking boxes. And there I was new, knowing nothing not understanding how the networks and the politics work. And so I recognized I had to change my mindset first, that it was okay to be a, be a beginner again. Like, how yeah. would I treat a beginner? Like, and I'm a beginner. Like, what does a beginner do? And I had to change a second mindset that my goal in the first 90 to 100 days actually was not necessarily results. It was learning and relationships. Like, what did people really want from me? Did they want me to come in and like revolutionize things in a hundred days? Probably not. And so when I made my goal learning, okay, for the first 100 days, my only job is learning. I'm a learner. I'm, an, I'm a beginner. I'm new, right? And building relationships. How can I make connections? How can I, you know, rely on these folks? And so when I really let myself off the hook of being the expert and the doer and the succeeder, and I said, oh, no, my job is to be a beginner. My job is to be a learner. My, not, my job is to be a connector. Like the stress just was like, oh. And so that's kind of my advice for folks who are maybe feeling a little bit of career regret is one, maybe just challenge what your goals were and were they, were they realistic or were you, you know, thinking like, gosh, this will be so different and I'll change the world. And, you know, if you're feeling a little bit of career regret, maybe think about what you feel like you're missing. Oh, I'm missing relationships. I'm missing knowledge. What can you go do to go get that? Yeah. You know, how can you create that in your new job? I love this idea of being a beginner and also recognizing that we can be a beginner in a job that we've had for 17 years. Yes, we can. We can make that seasonal shift for ourselves and say, you know, I, I need to approach this in a different way than I have been. And how would 
me looking at this as a net new experience. How would I approach it? Like there's an invitation in that. I feel like there's an invitation for that in every area of my life. Like I'm looking at this conversation. I'm like, oh, I need to be a beginner in my marriage. Yeah. I need to be a beginner in my parenting a little bit right now. Cause I feel like I've let the straws on the camel's back start to, to get a little uh-huh. heavy. Yes. You bring up a really great point that I talk about with my clients. And so I'll just use a personal example since we're talking personal stuff. I was divorced at age 30, jumped right back into a relationship against everyone's wise advice. And we were engaged and I called off that wedding by the time I was 35. And so at the other end of two failed relationships, like it was really easy to just blame other people. Like, oh, my picker's broken. There's no good people out there. This sucks. I'm never going to find anyone. But actually what I really had to do was I had to be like, oh, you know what? There's a common denominator in all of this. And it's me. And I think it's the same thing sometimes with jobs. And you just made a really good point about, you know, kind of, you know, not saying what you need or, you know, things recurring is, you know, if you're leaving a job because you're unhappy and you haven't done the work to speak up, to ask for what you need, you know, like, oh, my boss doesn't give me any feedback. Well, what have I done to ask for feedback? You know, if we don't try to fix what's broken in our current role, what will happen is, is we'll go to our next role and we will recreate the same things. And then we'll be like, I just can never find a company with a boss that gives me feedback, right? Well, we've never actually gone in and say, well, what have I done? How have I taken responsibility for being the common denominator in that and actually asked for feedback, asked for things to change, asked, asked for a new outcome? And, and that was a big aha for me personally, that I think professionally really makes sense too, is that we have to look at those places where we're common denominators. And I love how you opened it up. Like my grass keeps getting brown. Well, where am I in the common denominator in that? And what do I need to do to get some green grass around here? No matter where I'm at. The perspective of asking for what we need. I've been digging into this a lot in my own personal work, both. I mean, and I think professionally, transparently, I find that easy. Personally, I really struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And it does come down to this kind of really brutal combination of worthiness and confidence. I don't know how we address that in, you know, in a way that makes it applicable and approachable for everybody. Just, I just want to acknowledge it. Yes. Asking for what you want and need is a combination of you believing that you get to, you're worthy of asking for what you need, and then the confidence to go ahead and do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that is very, very common, especially with women. And I work with women who've maybe been told some messages, like, let's just, let's just do a message check. You know, maybe you were told, oh, don't ask because you don't want to look greedy or, you know, it's better to be, you know, seen than to be heard. Don't be pushy. You know what, if it's meant to be, it will happen. And so I don't know what your messages were, your cultural messages, but I would just check those. Like, let's just check our messages. And then I would really ask yourself, are those messages serving you? Yeah. And then I would really encourage women to say, you know, actually, is that even true? Is it even true that like we should be seen and not heard? Is it really true that if you ask, that means you're pushy? Like, actually, what if the opposite is equally as true? Like when you ask, you're not, I don't, I, I can't 
recall right now because I'm on the spot what the opposite of pushy would be. You know, maybe it's calm or accepting, but yeah, maybe asking for what you need. People see you as calm and accepting. I don't know. How could that be equally as true? And I think the second thing when it comes to confidence is too many women wait to feel confident. Okay, we don't, when I feel confident, then I'll ask. When I'm in a good spot, then I'll ask. I'll have this conversation. But I have yet to experience myself. I have yet to you know, talk with any of my clients who haven't felt doubt, nervousness, unworthy, while also making an ask because it was the right thing to do. And so I just want to normalize and honor that like, you don't need to wait to feel confident to do these things. It's the actions of confidence come first and then the feelings follow. But too often we have that reversed. Oh, I'm gonna wait to feel confident and then I'll do it. Nope, we make the ask while feeling all the nerves and the tingles and all the things and then the confidence comes. I had never thought of it that way, but I can, in thinking of just examples in my own head that yeah, confidence is actually a side effect from the action as opposed to the stimuli to the action. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. All right. So you've written this book, Closing the Confidence Gap. Who is this book for? This book is for primarily written for corporate women. If you are an entrepreneur, you're probably going to get something out of it as well. So really, if you are a woman and you are in the workplace in some way, it will have the most benefit for you. And it's, you know, it's written for women who are probably in their, you know, mid to late 20s, like they're in their career a little bit, all the way up through, you know, somebody who's maybe in their early to mid, mid 50s. And, you know, it's really intended to help them own who they are trust themselves and take the bravest next step at work. The subtitle of the book is boost your peace, your potential and your paycheck, because it really takes kind of a, a two pronged approach. It's not all just about confidence. Although I do address the confidence gap, which Wharton actually did a study. And this, this comes back to our asking and our advocacy question. They wanted to understand, is there like a gender thing with asking and advocacy? And so what they did was they gave this group of individuals a standardized test and they took the test. The men and women took the test. And after they took the test, they did not tell them how they did, but based on how they thought they did, they were supposed to go advocate to that to potential employers. And as you might guess the plot of the story here, men did a little bit better of a job advocating on how they thought they did on the test. And that advocacy landed them better pay. They landed them more roles, whereas women just really had a hard time with that self-advocacy. But again, as the another layer of the story goes, you can probably imagine who did better on the test. Actually, women did a little better. And so the researchers said, well, maybe if we just start telling women they did a little better, then their confidence will follow suit. And so in the book, I actually argue that we actually need a different way. And that for women to feel more confidence at work, we need more women in leadership. And so this is actually a systemic issue that must be addressed from systemic issues such as the gender pay gap, seeing more women in leadership really understanding the unpaid tasks that women take on in the workplace and the extra burdens that they carry that keep them stuck, not strategic, not acting at that, that highest level. But then I also give really practical tips on how to speak up, ask for what you want, you know, think more confident thoughts, really trust yourself, trust your body, trust your butt, how your body gives you that full body, heck yes, or hell no. And so, you know, that's who it's for. It's for someone who wants to understand systemically, like what's happening and how can organizations move forward. And as a woman leader, how can I thrive in spite of all of those circumstances? I love that. I think oftentimes we look at the story of how we got there and we're like, okay, but give me the action. 
And I had a really interesting moment earlier this week when I was reading an article and I recognized that that how we got here was such an important part of the equation because in so many ways, we are lobsters in a pot of water that's getting hotter and hotter. Yeah. And we don't even know that we're in it until somebody's like, hey, you're in a boiling pot of water. You might want to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until we can see that we're in it that we can actually take the action. We have to notice where we are before we can actually take any meaningful next step. And sometimes we want to bypass that because it's hard to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I didn't want to write. Well, I said, honestly, that I would never, ever write a leadership book because, you know, I remember sitting in my boss's office and I was like, oh, I've always wanted to write a book my whole life. But I was sitting in her office one day and I'm like, but I will never write a leadership book ever. Right. And of course, like the universe laughs and you know, yes. Because at the time, I mean, this was probably 2008 or nine when I was having this conversation, I was thinking of books like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Leaders. I was thinking of Execution by Jack Welch, Good to Great by Jim Collins. I mean, even if you do a Google search of leadership books, the top 10 to 15 that are going to pop up are all written by men. So like here I was unconsciously comparing myself to this category of men who are dishing out leadership advice. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's not the book I want to write. So coming back to your context question of being the lobster in the pot, that was really important for me to help women kind of wake up to the environment that they're in so they can go, oh, like, I'm actually not crazy. (laughs) Like, maybe I've actually felt or noticed some things that maybe like, I was like, gosh, this just shouldn't be so hard. Or, you know, why is this happening or whatever? Like, I wanted them to understand the context that they were in so they could have the tools to manage their context. I want to just go on a slight bypass rant here for a hot second. Sounds good. Because this leadership book issue is infuriating to me that you go to best-selling leadership books in Amazon and it is books by men and you go to personal development or self-help and it's leadership books for women. What? Yes. Yes. Like ladies, I want to just gather us around and be like, no, those self-help books that you've been digesting, those are leadership books. Mm-hmm. Can we put those in the right category, please? Yeah. I actually did not put my book in the, I don't believe it's in the self-help category, but of course, now that I'm saying that, I'm like, oh, I need to make sure that my, my publisher doesn't have this self, self-help category. And you know, somebody says, well, can men read your book and find something from it? And so I would argue the paradox that you men have written books for years and they've always expected women to find themselves in it. So yeah, you, a man, you should read my book and not say it's just for women, but you should find yourself in it just like you've always asked us to find ourselves in masculine terms. You can find yes. yourself in feminine terms too. Yeah, I feel like the, the challenge that that, creates the empathy that that naturally has given women. It's a superpower that men should also get to develop in the same way. Yes. As you're looking at supporting women today, and as this episode is coming out, it's midsummer. 
a lot of women have a lot on their plates, a lot of juggle, a lot of factors. What is one way they can flex that confidence muscle? They can take the action that gives confidence as opposed to waiting for the confidence. Yeah, I would say that's a big question, right? Because there's, there's lots of things that they could do. But I would go to your, actually, I'm going to back up even one more step. When women are struggling with confidence and they don't know what to do, what next step to take, and they're overwhelmed. And like they're like, I just need to feel better, but I just don't even know where to start. I always have them start with a don't want list. I want you to go and look at your life. And I want you to write down everything in your life you know you don't want. Because you know what? It's a lot easier to be like, oh, I, I know I don't want that. This sucks. This doesn't feel good. I want you to actually listen to your body as you're doing things and be like, does this make me clench up and stressed out and angry? And then do I, you know, yell at my partner or my, you know, do I just, am I not my best when I'm doing this task or activity? So start with your don't want list. And I want you just to pick one thing on your don't want list. And I want you just to tell someone, thank you so much for the invite. Unfortunately, my schedule has changed and I can't accommodate this in my schedule anymore. You know, and just start with that. I don't remember who said this. It might've been Elizabeth Gilbert. It might've been somebody else. It might've been my mom. I don't know. But somebody told me once, and this resonates, a woman can change her entire life. A person can change their entire life simply by cleaning out their sock drawer. And I love that analogy because I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moods where you're like, I really need to just clean this out, dispose of all those extra socks that are never going to come back. And then all of a sudden your sock drawer looks good. And they're like, oh, I'm going to do this to my kitchen. And then your kitchen looks good. And then it's like, I'm going to do this to my whole house. I'm going to do this to my job. I'm going to do this to my life. And so that's why I'm like, don't want list. Pick one thing because that one thing could be your proverbial sock drawer. You just never know we're cleaning up that one area of your life will start to give you then the confidence to clean up the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Mm. I love that. That's so actionable. So we're gonna all go and we're gonna do the work of our don't want list. We're gonna head to Instagram. We'll put in a question box where you can claim the one thing that you're taking action on on that don't want list. And we're trusting that that confidence that we're building from taking action, it's going to help build some momentum so that we can take on more and more and more of that don't want list. And before we know it, we're going to be living lives that we feel really confident in. Yeah. I mean, like, let's just be honest. So, oh gosh, the other day, I wish that you could see this. So I am obviously getting my books delivered to me. And so I had to make a space. And my closet, and you're listening to me on a podcast, but it's back behind my shoulder. It was full of junk. It's in my office. But before this was my office, this was the catch-all room. You know, like if you have a room in your house where all the junk goes. Well, we had never, I had never cleaned out the closet. And I don't know if you've ever seen Friends, the TV show. It's the joke where she, Monica is very, very clean, but she has a Monica closet and they open it and stuff literally falls out. Okay. So like I had this closet, right? Where like things were going to fall out. I'm like, oh, I got to clean out that closet. Like that's where my books are going to go. But my point is about the feelings of confidence. I hesitated and hesitated and hesitated to clean out that damn closet. And when I finally got to it, I stood back and the feelings of like empowerment. I like, I have a picture of it on my phone. So I'm like, look how gorgeous it is. And it's pretty. And then you feel good and you stand up taller that's the feelings of confidence that I want 
you to feel when you clean out your sock drawer, when you cross that one thing off on the list, like feel that and use that energy to do the next thing and the next thing. Yes. Oh my gosh. That clean closet feeling that's magic. (laughs) Kelly, I want you to share that clean closet image the day this episode goes live. I will. And I'll share my recent win in the closet too, because there is, there is a connection here between where where we live, how we live and how we show up. There's a connection. And when things feel like they're in order in our lives, then we can make more order in our work. Yes, hundred percent. So well said. Kelly, tell us where we can find you online. You can find me online at kellyraythompson.com. I'm Kelly with an I, Ray with an R-A-E. And I love to hang out on Instagram and LinkedIn. And so if you just forward slash on either of those platforms, I'm forward slash Kelly Ray Thompson on both LinkedIn and Instagram. And on my website too, there's a little link that says book and you can learn more about the book that's coming. So November 1st is the big day. Awesome. What is your favorite life hack? Oh, my favorite life hack. I would just say exercising. Like I just feel, so talk about like how you want to feel. I have never felt better in my life than when I've made the commitment to lift weights in the morning. There's just something about that energy and that strength. And I just feel better. I often joke with people that, and I mean, I'll just be totally transparent. There was a time in my life where like, I was really depressed. I was on antidepressants, which thank God for therapy and medication, huge advocate. And I will also tell you that once I really started to make the practice of like working out every morning, I just became happier. Like I was, I was just more fit for human consumption. And so that's been my life hack. I've just noticed that when I move my body in the morning, I feel better and I do things better. And when I don't, I overthink and I don't feel better and I don't do things better. Mm. The go-to song when you need to up your energy. I love Hamilton. So (laughs) I will put on the Hamilton soundtrack and I love the Hamilton song. I love in the room where it happens song. And I love the wait for it song. Like I I just pick those three and I just scan them. So like right before I'm going to speak or something like that, like Hamilton soundtrack, hundred percent. What time do you wake up? Usually between 620 and 640, depending on what time my first meeting is. What does breakfast look like? So I don't eat breakfast. So in the morning, what I do is I get up and I make myself a latte. So there's like at least a little bit of milk in the coffee or something. And then I go exercise. And when I'm done exercising, I'll come back and make like, I, I'm the type of person that could eat the same thing every day. And so every day I make myself like a little protein waffle. It's got an egg and like some protein rich waffle mix. And I mix it all up. And then I, that's what I eat every day. Morning person or night owl? morning person, hundred percent. Don't even talk to me after 8 PM. Like I'm not functional. <laughs> book you've given or recommended the most, not your own, not my own. Yep. So the gifts of imperfection by Brene Brown. I've read the book three times. I cry every time and I'm not a crier. I've taken the online course and nearly every client that comes into my practice or every friend, like that's the book they get gifts of imperfection by Brene Brown. Hmm. What are you doing imperfectly, but with great joy? launching my book right now. Yeah. A lot of like not knowing and imperfection and I hope this works, but we're just going to throw it against the wall and do it anyway. I love that. Kelly, thanks so much for spending time with us today. We'll see you online. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has just been wonderful. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, 
you can go onto social media. I like to play most on Instagram at InBusinessPod or on my personal LinkedIn page where you can find me as Cass McCrory. And share what you enjoyed about it. Share it with a friend. Tag somebody who would also benefit from hearing this story, this moment of inspiration, this moment of wanting more. And if you've been especially inspired, I ask you to rate this podcast wherever you're listening. Spotify, Apple Podcast, wherever that is. Your readings help make sure that the right people find this podcast that we're, we're making together. And I'll be honest, each one means a lot to me. I'll see you soon.